I'm Dave Monaco, Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. We've spoken over the first several episodes of this fifth podcast season about reconnecting. Reconnecting to a somewhat more normalized life after the period of trauma created by the pandemic and other societal issues of the last 18 months. Reconnecting to a positive mindset amidst the challenges of the day. And here at Parish, reconnecting to the stories of our past as we celebrate our 50th anniversary this year. Indeed, at Parish, we entered this new school year with intention. In fact, a series of five intentions that informed how campus leaders would help our community of students, employees, and parents reconnect to learning, working, and spending our days together once again as we resumed daily campus programming. These intentions range from renewing our partnership with parents, who spent much of last year removed from our campuses, to restoring relationships and wellness, to revisiting the community covenants that provide order and routine to our days on campus. Of great interest to many people with a stake in the field of education, though, is what impact over a year of disrupted and at times virtualized education has had on student learning and progress. Given the realities of the period from March 2020 until the start of this school year for students not only at Parish but across the country, is the question of how educational leaders must assess and adjust curriculum and teaching to meet the needs of students. As we reconnect at the start of this school year, then, it seemed most relevant and of interest to welcome Parish's academic leaders to the podcast to talk about where we are in this moment in time and the intentions we and the team of our teachers have established as we begin classes for this school year. Michelle Lyon is Parish's Associate Head of School. In her role, she oversees all aspects of Parish's day-to-day academic program. She provides counsel and direction to Parish's three division heads who join Michelle as guests today. Laurel Ash, our head of lower school, Jen Wilson, who's the assistant head of school and head of middle school, and Andrew Jennings, our head of upper school. Enjoy this episode then, the From My Angle podcast with Parish's talented team of academic leaders. Welcome back to the From My Angle podcast. The fifth season brings with it now our most august guests thus far, the academic leadership team at Parrish. I'm so glad to have them here today. Associate Head of School, Michelle Lyon, Upper School Head, Andrew Jennings, Lower School Head, Laurel Ash, and Middle School Head and Assistant Head of School, Dr. Jen Wilson. Why bring this group together? Well, as this school year starts, I think one thing all of us are curious about, educators and non-educators alike, What has the consequence been of the last 18 months of disconnected learning, at times virtualized, at times off campus? What impact have we seen? And beyond that, as this year starts, a year that will be more normal, increasingly, we hope, what are the priorities for these academic leaders as they reconnect our learners to campus-based learning here at school? So, y'all, thanks for coming. Glad to have you. We're all here at DeBrain Conference Room on the Midway Campus and glad to be together to do this. Let's start with your parish stories. They're all unique and worth, I think, providing our listeners some context to who you are and how you got here. Laurel, we're going to go in seniority, length of time at parish. Start with you, and then we'll have to go to Jennings, and then me and Lyon, and then Wilson. So let's go with you, Laurel. Uh, Laurel Rough Ash, I should say. Yep. So, um... That's weird being the senior member here, but I was hired by Gloria Snyder 30 years ago 
to teach fourth grade when Patty Guymuller retired. If anyone knows the Guymuller yeah. family, I took her place in fourth grade. Um, and I spent three years in the fourth grade classroom as a really green new teacher. And then I moved into fourth through sixth grade science, which was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And then um, took a 10 year break to have my family work on my master's degree. And then 14 years ago, I came back to Parrish, but in the admission office. So I spent 14 years there, several as the director of admission. And then in 2019, I became the head of lower school. Was that your first job? Yeah, I was. Par was Parrish your first professional job? I was an intern at Green Hill School when That's I moved right. here from Indiana right. for okay. one year, yeah. and then I took the job at Parrish. So you so, were a spring chicken, to be sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. And so, Andrew, you're next, I think, right? I have this right. In yeah. terms of years of time. So was, when, did you, when did you arrive on the scene? 2004. Um, I taught for two years in Baltimore uh, with Teach for America, right. and I came here when I was 24, so this is year 18. And I was hired as a middle school Spanish teacher and advisor and coached three sports for a long time um, and then moved to the upper school after four years in our middle school um, where I was already coaching some of our varsity and JV teams. So I moved to the upper school, started teaching those kids and um, went to grad school at some point while I was doing that. And uh, the following year, I was the subject area coordinator for the world language department. And the year after that, Dean of Students. The year after that, the Assistant Head of Upper School for about eight years or so. Mm -hmm. And this is my third year as the Head of Upper School. Yeah, you worked with a really uh, difficult boss in the Upper School. <laughs> Taskmaster. <laughs> Who we'll go to next, now the Associate Head of School, but at that time. Uh, the, the endearing the endearing boss to who we referred. So, Michelle, uh, you and I came the same year. You, we did, we 2009. hired in the same class. And Gloria hired me, which right. a lot of people think you hired me. Correct. But Gloria hired me. <laughs> and um, I came, it's interesting, as um, a brand new position. Right. Uh, the assistant head of upper school for academics, which is interesting because now all three divisions have, it. have that title. Yeah. And then um, Mr. Miner left in 2011, and I became the interim head of upper school. Then six weeks in, I became the head of upper school. And then a year later, I became the provost and head of upper school. <laughs> and then I became the assistant head of school, and now the associate head of school. So it's been a fun journey. And I serve also as an uh, upper school advisor, and both my kids have graduated from here. Yeah, so we've lost, I lost count of the title, of the title <laughs> count there, actually. I think it's like six titles in, uh, now 12 plus years. Uh, and then Dr. Wilson joined us. Yeah, so I came in 2015. Yes, seven years ago. This uh -huh. is year seven. Okay. Year seven for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I spent the first 17 years of my career in public school, all in Richardson ISD, just on the road, and was a teacher and campus administrator there. And so I came here in 2015 as head of lower school and spent four years shuffling back and forth between the Hillcrest and Midway campuses, running the lower school division. And then when we did the reorg that brought this team together mm -hmm. um, as division heads, I moved into the role as assistant head of school and head of middle school. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with the middle school now for three years and in my role as assistant head, work with some of our directors of signature programs that run pre-K through 12. And with seven years experience, I'm the newbie. <laughs> on our academic leadership team. So, 
Yeah, so those stories are all interesting and unique. And I know the thing that I love about um, them in, in particular is that um, they all show your growth and evolution through the institution over time, even gens in a shorter period of time. Uh, roles have changed and responsibilities have grown. We have nine um, leaders in each of our divisions. So there's essentially the division heads, the people that are here with us, and then they have two assistants. And eight of those nine people have all come to their present positions, Jen being the one exception who we hired externally. All um, eight of those, of those nine people were hired initially um, as Andrew and Laurel were as teachers. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's something I'm exceptionally proud of um, in terms of how well we hire collectively as a group and cool. how well we also grow those individuals to be uh, impactful leaders on campus. So um, we thought this year was going to be a lot more normal than it actually turned out to be, but it's still a lot more normal than it was because last year, Jen's um, community was on campus for a week and home for a week. Andrew's was mirroring that on the opposite week. Laurel's group was back, but they were in cohorts and here every day. And it wasn't until March 1st um, that all of us returned to campus. And even then, we were still missing you know, 15% of our learners on average, who um, in some cases never came back. Mm -hmm. So Michelle, we had quite a task on our hands, I think as the year ended, because we were trying to figure out, you know, where were our learners as they came back and then what were we gonna focus on? We've been doing some really bold uh, thinking about how school worked before we left. Uh, so here you are as the senior officer for all of our academic programming. As, as you entered this year, you know, what were you thinking about as the priority or priorities for this group of um, division leaders who you who you work with most closely yeah sure well, as you know we've you've set up our intentions to reconnect mm -hmm. and then reset part of that reset process is to really think about academically where we want to go as a school and you really can't do that if you haven't finished really articulating your curriculum and so pre-pandemic we were well in the weeds of figuring out what does English look like pre-k through 12 in math and social studies in our core disciplines, and um, we kind of had to put that that task on hold because we were in the middle of a pandemic and we had to shift to new platforms and understand how to do that. So we're going to dust off the cobweb, so to speak, and um, get everybody up and running again with that because I think it sets a really good framework for any type of uh, work we want to do in the future. I think when you have a fully articulated curriculum of the knowledge and skills you want your kids to master and to and to demonstrate. It can also show you if there's gaps. It can also show you if there's redundancies. It can also help you with transitions between grades eight and nine and grades four and five. And I think, ironically, if you have to try to find the silver lining in COVID, which I try to do on a daily basis to keep me sane, um, I think COVID also provided our faculty with an opportunity to really figure out what was essential. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to teach in those different platforms. And so, that, that, you know, them going back through their, you know, looking at their curriculum again this year and thinking about what was essential during, you know, when they were teaching in different platforms, I think my hope is, is that they're going to come back to it with a really renewed focus. And I think we're going to get that done so that when we do reset, we'll, we'll have that part done. It will give us a really good skeleton or framework to work from. Yeah, so the average listener, and I've used this metaphor before in groups that you and I have been in, yeah. is probably thinking like, What's um, that? you are a school <laughs> and you're telling me you are gonna work on articulating your curriculum. I've used it metaphorically as if to say, you went to McDonald's and they were talking about 
their french fry recipe right you mean you're a school and you don't have an articulated curriculum like mcdonald's doesn't have to keep working on their french fry recipe they just have it so what like what's the difference between a school that has a curriculum which we have and what you're talking about in terms of trying to uh, take i heard you say knowledge and skills and articulate those out with some specificity it sounds like so we can measure what the learner is mastering even more precisely well see every school will tell you that they have a curriculum right but how do they really understand what is happening between seventh grade english and eighth grade english Mm -hmm. and have they taken the time to really understand what are those what we would call here at parish performance indicators what are those levels of evidence Mm -hmm. from one grade to the next that is really going to demonstrate that there is a scope and a Mm -hmm. sequence of learning right for each of our for each of our learners and so i think the best schools are the schools who actually document this so that when you bring in new teachers they understand where seventh grade english should be or where seventh grade math should be so that their learners if they want to move ahead of that or they mm-hmm. need to differentiate within that they know that scope in that sequence so we are going to finish that so that it is a documented piece of instruction for our teachers, but also help us differentiate for our kids. Yeah, we call it that interstate, you know, that curricular interstate that runs throughout the entire uh, school. And so if that interstate has bumpy patches, it has patches that take you over the same terrain, you know, it has, so it has redundancy, that's a problem, right? And so articulating a beautiful, smooth pathway, which is an interstate, also allows you to start thinking about how quickly kids might be able to move along that interstate and maybe at different rates, just as cars travel on that interstate at different rates. Did you establish any other priorities or is that really your main main one at this point um, as you think about the, the year ahead? That is the main one because mm-hmm. it's gonna take a lot of our time. And yeah. so when parents ask like, what do you do on those early releases? Mm-hmm. Well, part of that is that we need time to bring both campuses together right. and we need our vertical team. So like, you don't just want the upper school English team together, you want the the humanities team with that team, mm-hmm. plus the, the lower school teachers who will focus on um, their language arts all together in one room so they can understand what that interstate looks like. Yeah, and you so, all have 135 faculty across your three divisions, and so getting them all coordinated is a challenge from a time. So we appreciate our parents who give us yes, those early release that, days. Yes, that flexibility. Um, okay, so let's talk as professionals a bit about like the elephant in the room, which is pandemic learning loss. and so. You, you know, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that the last 18 months posed an interruption to face-to-face learning, which inarguably is best for a preponderance of the students, um, and in ways that um, perhaps have set students back. In fact, I've seen data, um, and now it's much more public because uh, Mike Morath just shared it from TEA uh, last week that shows the math and writing uh, loss in the public schools in the state of Texas, significant, um, significant decreases in that. Now, we face um, a, a different set of students every day, different demographic, but nevertheless, um, I think this is an interesting question. So, Jen, uh, get us started. Like, you know, your middle school perspective, your educator's perspective, learning loss real post-pandemic? Um, and if so, how, how are you attacking How are you attacking in your division? Sure. Um, so, I've said since the beginning of the pandemic that I'm less concerned about academic learning loss than I am about loss of social connection, the name about the social emotional toll, I think the trauma that some of our kids have faced. Um, And I think when we look at it globally, everyone had learning loss 
and the U.S. and Western Europe had less learning loss than any place else. Um, you know, I work with international schools that have not had school in 18 months at all. Um, and so I think it's important to keep that in perspective that we're looking at, you know, learning loss across the globe and that in the U.S. we're more privileged and at Parish mm. we're even more privileged, right? Mm. But all that to say, like, there, we could not have covered everything last year that mm-hmm. we normally do. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think, as Michelle spoke to, our teachers did a really good job of identifying what was most important last year and really teaching, you know, sort of the meat of learning for their course and cutting away some of the, not really fluff, but just extra stuff that we're able to do um, in a normal school year. Um, And so I think that that focus that they had reduced the learning loss, right? Um, But we recognize it could occur. So one thing that we're doing in the middle school this year is that we are shifting Uh, the standardized testing that we do to help us focus on that. So in the past, in the middle school, we've used the ERB test, which Mm -hmm. is a nationally normed test that compares students' progress to national cohorts, private school cohorts, all kinds of things. But it's a one-day, one, you know, moment sort of snapshot. And so we are switching over to another uh, assessment that ERB has called the Milestones, which we'll give three times. And it's just measuring math and reading comprehension. Um, we'll give it actually starting Friday of this mm. week and next week. Mm. The students will take it in their humanities and their math classes to get a baseline of where they are at the beginning of this academic year. We'll give it again mid-year and again end of the year. Mm. And so what it will allow us to do is actually see as a class, so you could look at the seventh grade math class, mm. where are they? Are there gaps that we need to address? And also for an individual student, you can our goal is to see growth oh, over the course yeah. of the year. So even if they start this year behind, for lack of a better word, um, then we'll be able to assess what they're behind in. And teachers are fantastic at identifying gaps and filling those in. Yeah, so the fact that they'll take some, take some, take that data and, and then do some targeted intervention right. with po- with pods of kids who yep. may need to... Yeah, one-on-one or... Right and they yeah. can also then go back to the the framework that we're building to make sure that it still aligns. Right. Correct. So it's going to be... It's like double dipping, you know, it's going to be great. And so we were actually looking at doing this anyway. I -hmm. mean, this was, I I didn't love the one day testing. Mm -hmm. I've never Mm -hmm. loved that, even, you know, from the public school perspective of how they do their assessments. Um, But we had kind of looked at doing this and this is just sort of the perfect Mm -hmm. time. So today, kids were downloading the software onto their laptops so they can take the test starting Friday. All done on there. Yeah. All done on their computers. Yeah, in, in lower school, I mean, I agree with Jen. I've read a lot of things about, you know, our kids behind. Behind mm-hmm. what? Behind mm-hmm. who, right? Mm-hmm. We've all been in this pandemic together, and lower school was blessed to be on campus all year, face-to-face last year, although it was different. Their schedules were different. Um, they, they experienced their enrichments differently. But as I told parents last year, I think what we found was by having to focus more on core curriculum last year, the kids actually had more time on task in oh, their core classes right. than they do in a normal school year right. when they're transitioning between yeah. all of their enrichments. Right. And so, you know, we already personalize and differentiate in our language arts and in our math. And so, you know, the teachers did some benchmarking during the year last year. At the end of the school year, they did some growth measures. Um, Melissa Grabsky and I were discussing that the other day. In math, for example, you know, with the exception of a few kids, they are all on target for our math curriculum of, of moving forward. So, you know, those assessments happen at the beginning of every school year. Right. That's a, that's, that's very right. much, I think, of it, and across our three divisions, right. 
this notion of the type of benchmarking that Jen was speaking about is much more common in our lower school program mm -hmm. across the year, independent right. of pandemic, right? So you, right. All, you really have good data. We do. We have data to drive decisions yeah. and the grouping that we do with students. And then we have our academic specialists at each grade level yeah. so that we can even differentiate more and accelerate the kids who need that and remediate the kids who need that. Yes, that's interesting. So, Andrew, I mean, your, your kids spent probably the largest chunks of time off campus, for example, between Thanksgiving and January last year. It was the, it was the largest contiguous time of virtualized education <coughs> for any of our three groups. So what are you and your team seeing or feeling around any type of loss and how are you attacking attacking it? Yeah, so I mean, I agree with, uh, with Jen and Laurel in that everybody globally lost. And so it's really a matter of looking at all of the things that we did that we were able to do due to our history in the uh, in virtual platform through, uh, through Parish Virtual. And so relative to a lot of other schools, districts, countries, um, you know, I think that uh, we were able to do a good job, and I believe that um, our loss was real, but at the end of the day, those who lost less really gained relative to, to others. And so I do feel like that's the position that we're in. And we're, we're being very intentional to message that with students and parents, especially in the upper school, as it relates to the college process and anxieties that surround that. Um, and, um, in terms of you know what was specifically observable for us, um, our our AP scores were a, a, an indicator of the difference in quality between being physically present and being virtually present. And there was a very strong uh, correlation with our ones and twos and those students who stayed off campus. And we've never had this many scores below three, and we also were hovering around forty percent opt out for a good chunk of the year. Yeah, so for the listener, uh, AP scores, they may know, are, are, are scaled on a one to five. And so what you saw very clearly was those students that were virtual for mo most of last year scored significantly lower on those AP scores. Yes, and I think one more, one more sub point to that is that uh, AP tests are taken by and large by juniors and seniors, and our senior class was disproportionately learning from a distance, right. they were up to 60% at one point. Right. And so um, I think we can see very clearly the value of what we do here on campus as a community. And I think that that's a powerful statement when you look at it from that angle. Um, not to riff on the name of your podcast, Dave. Right. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but um, again, all of that said, like we still, I think, are relatively privileged in, in the fact that we were teed up. We had some experience. Um, almost, I believe it, it was something insane. Like all but like a, a handful, like literally a handful of our students had taken a parish virtual class mm -hmm. um, before the pandemic hit at that point. So they had this experience with um, balancing in-person versus online learning, synchronous and asynchronous. And I think that that served us uh, really well. So we focus on those positive things. We focus on the fact that it's, it's been hard universally uh, on young people and us older people. Um, and uh, we've done, uh, I think, what's an, an admirable job. And I think our students are, are in a good position when it comes to the competitive college application process. And worth noting to Laurel's point, there is also has always been a math packet in the upper school which the upper school students have to complete. So I suspect that data also informs what your upper school math faculty, for example, have seen in, in the form of potential gaps 
for kids coming back to start this year based on those kids that um, didn't do as well in the math packet coming back off the summer? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the math packets themselves had to be retooled based on what was content mm-hmm. studied Probably, the previous right. year. Um, and while we retained, you know, the key, the most essential content and skills across the board, um, something that, that we learned in terms of management of our expectations of students, but also the social emotional health of our community was to scale back volume. Just doing that, if we're going from, um, you know, you know, 50 or 60 questions in, in, a, in, a, in an assessment down to 20 or 30 that still measure essentially the same skills was, was something that we applied during the school year, but then it carried over in how we approached our summer packet as well, because we did want summer to be restorative for all members of our community, especially our young people. Um, and so that's a, a, another, another measure that we took. And I, I think that the biggest piece in terms of what just comes out in, uh, in casual conversation or you know, more formal discussions at division meetings is that this idea of extending grace to our students, yes, mm-hmm. but also teachers. Like they don't need to be beating themselves up when the year starts because they feel a need to make up for the loss that was universally experienced mm-hmm. plus do everything that they normally do. Yeah. They need to exhale meet their students where they are and bring them forward like we've always done. And if they're doing that, then then we're doing a good job. Yeah, that's such a great point because with one of our intentions being around decompression and wellness coming off of this experience, what we didn't want our colleagues to do was to, as you say, accelerate to make up and put more pressure on both themselves and their, and, and their students. So um, schools of our size face a challenge because we are three divisions yet we have a cohesive mission, right? We're preparing and guiding our kids to become creative learners and bold leaders to impact a complex global society. And so much of what Michelle does is to orchestrate your efforts and the efforts of your academic assistants, the assistant heads of your division on projects like the curriculum articulation and a lot and sort of adherence to our mission. But at the same time, you all have developmentally segmented age groups with particular opportunities for them. So let's go around like the one thing that's going on in your division this year that's unique to your division, still mission aligned, that you're just really excited about. You know, let's, let's start with the youngest and work our way up, Laurel. What, what's, uh, what's one thing happened in lower school that you're really excited about this year programmatically? Well, we launched IMPACT, our IMPACT curriculum, our Habits of Work curriculum in 2019 before mm-hmm. the pandemic. And that was exciting and fun and the kids really got into it. Um, but then it became essential when we pivoted during the pandemic. And so coming back this year, um, we decided we really wanted to focus on social emotional learning coupled with our impact curriculum so that we can equip students not to just have these strong habits of work that help them so much in the classroom, but these social emotional skills to to help them sort of re-engage as larger groups of kids. Mm-hmm. You know, last year while we were on campus all year, and that was great, it was limiting. They were in these little cohorts, right, of 10 to 12 kids because about five kids from each class were also in a virtual classroom. And what I think we're all starting to see with young children is this is a large segment of their life. A year and a half of a pandemic when you're five and six that's a large portion of your life. And so their life experience is different. You know, some don't play with other kids in the evening when they go home. Their families don't socialize with lots of other people. 
And so focusing on social emotional curriculum along with this impact is really important to the lower school teachers to make sure that our kids um, have the skills to regulate and re-regulate when something goes wrong or they suffer a disappointment in the classroom. So. Yeah, and that's really built right into their lesson. So whether mm -hmm. it's independence in the impact or whether it's tenacity, the T, or whether it's personal right. responsibility, the P, like they're actually weaving that into um, a, a math a math lesson or something they're doing in their in their literature circles uh, and not only in math and literature but you have Desiree Gibson the assistant head for mm -hmm. student life yeah. and Elaine Charles our counselor at Hillcrest yeah. who are going in and leading classes with kids and having wellness Wednesday and helping them see that that's just as important mm -hmm. as their academic learning yeah. Um, and I'm really excited about that in the lower school. It, it also plays into classroom management, which sounds like something that you go, well, why do you want to focus on classroom management? It all blends mm -hmm. together, right, of how we're good citizens in our classroom and in the world. Jen, my office is right next door to um, uh, one of the eighth grade teachers, Kim Guillory, and she was teaching the other day and introducing a writing assignment and referencing the impact document which she had woven into the rubric for the writing assignment mm -hmm. so it's an example of it also living in in your division but what about middle school what are you what are you and, and your team excited about one of the one of the initiatives that you're undertaking this year um so i i think i don't know if excited is the right word but i think the one that has the biggest impact mm -hmm. on all of our um, students is our transition of our math program so you know for the last four or five years, I lost track at this point, um, our students in the middle school moved through a self-paced math curriculum where they were able to move at mastery. And while I think it had a lot of great uh, parts of it that were really helpful to our students, I think it also just became a point where we decided our best choice was to move back to a more traditionally teacher-paced program. Um, and so what it's allowed us to do that I think is interesting and is exciting is that um, we were able to, except for some of our middle school students who are really high flyers, bring everyone back into a middle school math classroom. So even our middle school students taking algebra are taking it from one of our eighth grade math teachers. As opposed to going to the upper school to take it with a, right. an upper school. And instructor. not that Andrew doesn't have fantastic mm -hmm. math teachers, but it is just nice yep. um, to be able to have them all housed within our, our math faculty. Um, and so what's I think what's really great about the program is that it's we're using the same um, curriculum materials as the lower school is and so that alignment that Michelle talked about we're able to really ensure knowing that when our students come to us from fifth grade that our fifth grade curriculum is really aligned with the fourth mm -hmm. grade curriculum which I think is really great um, and it has some some good technology points as well that that will help our teachers differentiate yep. um, because even though it's teacher paced and we're all moving together um, we still want to be able to differentiate in the classroom because you're never going to have students who are all ready at the exact same point to learn a concept. Yeah, we started paving that uh, math interstate in 2013, and we really had it well art well defined. That interstate metaphor that I was using. What I would what I would say to our listeners is where where we came up short in our implementation was if you were driving up the north the North Dallas Tollway, you know our our toll tag stations, you know we didn't construct and build them um, effectively, and so you know we got into some issues around how students paced and, and how quickly they were moving and how much stress it was putting on certain travelers on the interstate to feel like they had to keep up and hit certain of those toll tag stations at the right time and so you know, we made a really difficult decision to um, step away from that program um, but I'm glad you feel like there are some some benefits coming to learners and we'll certainly monitor that over the course of the year to see how it to see how it plays out now I think another thing that we are excited about that's a continuation from last year and also introducing more this year is um, 
we've been able to integrate our athletics um, mm-hmm. program into a class. And so we have students who are able to start their athletic practices during the school day, which I think is really helpful um, for their mental well-being and their um, social emotional health to be able to start during the day, finish practice a little earlier, go home. Um, we started that last year but didn't get to see the full implementation mm-hmm. of it because we didn't have a full mm-hmm. season, right? Mm-hmm. So getting to you know, our middle school football team won mm-hmm. the first game and I don't know how long it's been <laughs> since we won a middle school football game. and So maybe it's because they can practice mm-hmm. more together. I don't know, but we're excited about that. And then just the noble opening is mm-hmm. you know, seeing our dancers in dance studios yeah. is, is really exciting. Yeah. So I think just knowing that we have those aspects of the program that's, you know, speak to that well-roundedness of just not academics, but what else our students are able to experience here is, is super exciting for me. Yeah. Um, gosh, you guys all made me think of so many different things. I'm not really <laughs> sure where to start, but I'll, I'll start with something Jen left off with, which is the noble and tie it to, um, you know, Dave's uh, institutional theme of, of, of reconnecting mm-hmm. this year. And, in the summer, toward the end of the summer, just seeing how many alumni came back to use that space, to utilize that for kind of an essential standards uh, reunion show of sorts was just a a really, a a lot of fun and a really great way to get the year started on a positive note and kind of lift spirits uh, across the board. Current students, former students, and uh, I don't know, there are probably a hundred people or so in attendance. So it was a, uh, that was a whole lot of fun. also related to, to what Jen said and what Michelle said earlier about uh, curriculum articulation and the need for vertical alignment and those connections between each level of a discipline. Uh, we've seen a lot of positive momentum with the math program in the upper school as well. Uh, last year, I think we got to a, a good place uh, toward, the, toward the end of the year with our Algebra One students. And um, this year, there's a lot of uh, positive energy surrounding the program up there, and we're hearing it from students mm-hmm. and, and parents as well. So, so that's going well as we continually um, recalibrate due to COVID, yeah. but also due to kind of a change in the structure and the delivery of our curriculum and how students um, move through it and learn. Um, one other thing I'd like to mention that, that I've always been excited about in the upper school, so I don't know if I'm cheating because it's not brand new, but it's the idea of uh, integration of different core disciplines mm-hmm. and what we've been able to do with that. So during the pandemic, you know, uh, as many of you probably know, our, our, uh, our Rover kids won a world championship um, in their, the NASA Rover competition. is fairly amazing. So they're integrating their knowledge of math and science. They're also, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kind of old school shop going on in there too, or industrial arts, as it was called at my school, where they're learning some very practical skills that they're going to be able to apply down the road. I was just talking about it with a group of colleagues at lunch today about, uh, you know, how we wish we knew how to use all of the tools in a garage because it was, you know, just being able to kind of take care of yourself as an adult uh, is dependent upon learning those, a lot of the skills that I think our kids are getting uh, through our STEM program, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and even during a pandemic, I think it's exciting that we're able to roll out a, a new elective with culinary culture, which we're looking at connections between, um, you know, cooking culture, history, chemistry even, and also a little bit of uh, practical application for the students to give them a class that we do feel is good for that uh, emotional well-being piece, mm-hmm. and they're very, very much enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And um, lastly, um, 
I think that AGS is an exciting place right now after the leadership of uh, Dr. Frederick Coates, who retired. Uh, uh, Mr. Tom Silva has taken over that directorship. And he's very excited as, as travel starts to look more promising in the coming you know, year or two, um, as community service opportunities look to be more abundant in person as opposed to just uh, virtual. Um, AGS, I think, is in an incredible position to really bring in our tenant of service and um, look for opportunities for, um, you know, our travel opportunities for our students that are really able to bring in a lot of what we try to instill in the parish graduate in general. So the leadership component, the service component, um, we're excited about everything and the future of that program. Yeah, because the students that are in the Academy of Global Studies, AGS, are studying a specific global interest issue of interest to them. And so the ability to serve in that area of interest to, to help make an impact or to travel to see it in person would be a really powerful uh, powerful component of that. You have a lot of exciting stuff going on. But Michelle, I think there are probably some listeners who are like, yeah, we're talking a lot about this reimagined thing before the pandemic. And in fact, really since 2009, when you and I got here, we, we've been together really leading this effort to create learning for kids that is skills rich and, and personalized and relevant. And in its initial form, it was signature programs like Andrew just referenced, the Academy of Global Studies, the Parish STEM uh, program, which is now across the entire uh, institution, our Parish Bridge program in the upper school lab and link. Lots of those initiatives that first uh, started taking root early in 2009 through 2013-14. But then we got super ambitious and we're like, well got these signature programs, they're cool. But could we actually rethink how school works in terms of how we use time, how we assess? And we've referenced the math program. We began to really beta test some concepts. And then the pandemic came and we really had to reimagine school on purpose. <laughs> we actually had to do it. So like, from an institutional leadership standpoint and academics, like, how do you answer the question, what are you gonna do about reimagining? We have any energy left to keep doing this? Like, where where do you think where do you think that redesign project stands at this point as we move forward? Well, for someone who had spent a lot of time with with the four whys of reimagining, we 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 based reimagine on having you know our kids be able to have more voice and choice in their learning, mm -hmm. and having them experience authentic and meaningful assessment. Mm -hmm. Enduring Habits of Mind, which is where the impact that Laurel has referenced in Jen. Um, and then finally, um, moving our kids when they're, they're ready. Those whys, to me, have always just been what we should always be doing, whether you put a banner or reimagine on it or not. And so I'm not sure that the question is, do we have enough stamina or do we want to go into a substantial redesign project? I think what we need to do is maybe through your reset, mm -hmm. that what you'd like to do in the spring, and asking different constituents of where we're headed mm -hmm. is really understanding where are the tools and the skills and the opportunities that our teachers need to continue mm -hmm. to engage kids mm -hmm. in a really student-centered model. Yeah. And so, like, if, if, we want to, if we want to put a banner up for us, like, <laughs> what that looks like, we can. But to me, it just goes back to the core of, like, teaching, excellence in teaching. And so, when I ask... When everyone came back last year, they're like, well, we just reimagined because we, we did the hybrid program. We, did, we, you know, we moved between different platforms. Um, I think it would be nice to take what worked well from that. Mm -hmm. um, as far as time goes, I mean, I know the upper school did really well with a late start. Mm -hmm. 
and how do we do that? But that's about separating a middle school from an upper school and cross-divisional teachers, and everybody thinks it's really easy. We'll just start the upper school at 8.30. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't really start. It's, not, it's more complicated mm-hmm. because we've got teachers who teach in both divisions. But those are things that I want to I want to look at, and I think there's a lot of energy behind that and bringing in speakers and bringing in professionals to help you know really hone everyone's craft yeah so really the best of reimagined before the pandemic plus the best that we learned about ourselves in the pandemic correct inviting our community of parents and employees and students to the table really after the uh, mid-year holiday we've had a chance to reconnect get used to being back together um i think there's plenty of ways for us to reimagine parish after 50 years old and uh um align with those very principles you just spoke about in a really like because if you think about it the other four things were time you mentioned them time technology look at the technology we Mm -hmm. used during the pandemic time we got creative with different schedules and we had multiple schedules that no one ever wants to redo again and then you know the talent that you hired Mm -hmm. i mean we hired teachers in the middle of a pandemic Mm -hmm. or at the beginning of one Mm -hmm. and and you know finally teaching and learning and how that had a shift and we've really talked about that, um, what was essential. So let's finish with this because we've mentioned in passing several points today around this idea of wellness and decompression. I mean, um, we're, as we record this a couple of, a couple of weeks back to school. So um, we're, how, are you assessing, how are you assessing everybody, your colleagues, you know, your students coming off of this 18 months? Jen mentioned the word trauma before. We've talked about that openly here as, as colleagues uh, with, our, with our teams. Um, and are really focusing with the kids around wellness. What are you, what are y'all seeing? Like, everybody kind of just back at it? They back at it with trepidation? What's, what's out there? I think in lower school, you know, I approached with my teachers when they came back this focus on really um, recognizing what we had been through. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how are we going to work to restore mm-hmm. some wellness? You know, for our students, as I mentioned earlier, they're little. Like, this has been part of their life now for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. They're going to gauge off adults. But it, it was a lot for our teachers. And so, you know, focusing on social-emotional learning with our kids, you have to help teachers first know how mm-hmm. to acknowledge their feelings, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and self-regulate. We had Lori McLaughlin, a counselor, come on campus and meet with lower school mm-hmm. teachers and do a presentation during in-service and offered some sessions we wanted to gauge teacher interest of like is this just adding something they don't want 80 percent of them wanted the follow-up sessions Mm -hmm. so we're going to have lori and her associates come back three different Mm -hmm. times during the year to meet with teachers which ends up helping the teachers as much as it helps the teachers help the kids right 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 it's stress management for them (laughs) so that they it's a ripple effect effect, right totally so um they definitely wanted it and responded to it and i think that's important I know a lot of teachers commented to me after in-service, they, they appreciated the fact that administration was so open about mm-hmm. wanting to support them and focusing on their wellness and their needs. So that was, that was big mm-hmm. and important. I mean, I think for, you know, from the middle school perspective, um, we use our advisory a lot to, to really focus on student wellness. Um, and so, you know, between Chris Anderson, who's my assistant head of student life, and Ashley Collins, our counselor, and a couple of other people who really work on that, you know, we really use that time 
to focus on their social emotional learning, to focus on their uh, wellness. So, you know, Ashley Childson's wellness activities, um, or Collins, excuse me, since wellness activities and exercises every week to the kids. Um, and so I think we, we learned during the pandemic to, to look at the whole child. I think we, you know, as educators, we always said we did that, but it it, really taught us Mm. that we have to really be aware of everything that's going on with our students um, and to take that into consideration. And I think our teachers um, are able to do that now Mm -hmm. uh, better and and we're able to use our programming. Um, And so I think for our kids, a lot of it is just, you know, just trying to insert that joy back into their day so last week our fifth graders went to an outdoor adventure camp you know for a day we hadn't done field trips in a year and a half so getting to do that we are you know fingers crossed planning to go to Catalina this year with our seventh graders so finding those ways to put those experiences back into their school day I think will help to recenter our kids yeah maybe the oldest kids were the ones who in some ways were thrown most off like I don't know I feel like I'm not being Pollyannish but I feel like when I just uh, steep in the culture here, the kids seem okay. Like, do you feel like your oldest kids have bounced back, Andrew? Yeah, no, like I've been really pleasantly surprised with not just kids, but faculty, staff. Like, there's just a lot of energy and excitement and engagement. And uh, I was talking to the senior parents last week, I think, and one of the things that I normally discuss are kind of like the phases of senioritis and how, and this process that seniors go through and they're just get to a point where they're so over it. Not this year. Like everybody, first of all, we're not like, we need to focus on the fact that we're back here. And I think that the seniors are leading that charge. Um, that just the gratitude the appreciation that they have for being able to have a senior year. That's going to look a whole lot more normal yeah. than the, you know, classes of uh, 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. So we're excited and and grateful and we have there's a lot of anticipation it's like with everything it's given us a lot of opportunity to look at how we do things where we can um, make changes and so we've got new events coming um we've got retreats all day tomorrow mm-hmm. grade level retreats here on campus uh, for the first time and you know caroline cayley uh assistant head of upper school for student life she's just taken this on her own. When we started realizing we weren't going to be able to uh, secure the camp spaces or travel safely for that matter uh, for our retreats, she just started thinking of these incredible ideas. And I think it's just an example of how somebody at the end of a really challenging year and a half is still able to find so much energy and enthusiasm for her job that I, I think tomorrow is just going to be incredible. Yeah, so all the activities have been brought back here and repurposed on campus in super creative ways. I don't know, yeah. Michelle, like I think for me, the like, kind where you and I sit, I mean, we've talked a lot about um, whether whether our employees are, are flourishing or floundering. And so if I were to, not to end on a downer, but were to say what I worry most about is like, if this energy has, it, 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 that the division has spoken about is back and I do feel that way both from the adults and the students I would concur with the observations of of my colleagues here like I guess my biggest worry is like how long they can keep it mustered while we're still dealing with the pandemic do you have any other worries about as you look at the scope of the year relative to the the, the culture? Well then I might be Pollyannish too because I I just see I see a lot of joy yeah I I mean as you and I go back and forth between campuses (coughs) and as Laurel does too Mm -hmm. uh, I was over at Hillcrest this morning and 
you know, getting them out of a rainy day carpool mm-hmm. in the morning. They're like, it's raining, mm-hmm. Mrs. Lyon. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the wind is blowing. And you should just, you know, I mean, there's like, just like school's normal, right? Or the joy that they had a rainy day recess and they got to do this dance with the dinosaurs. You know, like, it was really cute. I did it too. But um, it was, it's, it's, it's like, I don't see them doing anything but loving school and loving being with their peers. And what I noticed with the older kids is that I think the difference this year is that they're able to still participate in all their activities. Mm -hmm. Like it's still a full and robust um, day. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, they, they look forward to the next class or they look forward to the next event. Um, and then for the teachers, I, I, the one instance we had this summer, there was the um, cheer drumline rosette showcase mm. in the Eller. And there were like 400 people in there watching this. And I had um, an upper school faculty member was on campus that day and came in and watched it. And he, she came up to me afterwards and she said, we should have kicked off the year with this. Because it was just joyful to see all those kids perform and be their authentic self. Yeah. And um, so anyway, next year we're going to kick off with a big showcase like That's that. That's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think Andrew's statement about the seniors and gratitude probably prevails among the entirety of the population. And so I just hope, as we all do, that the fine work that you all have done leading our communities, our divisional communities, um, become somewhat more normalized, you know, as the year goes on and that the pressure that's put on you and your colleagues who are teaching every day um, continues to, to lessen. And um, I, I'm hopeful that that's going to be the, the case. But uh, thanks for um, leading the teams through this crazy 18 months and for setting up uh, a series of awesome uh, targets for them in, in this year. And, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to reporting back to everybody uh, in the months to come. So thanks for joining me. It's been good Thank to have you. you all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. It'll be a few weeks until I'm back with you as the end of this month sees me traveling to Oklahoma City to serve as the chair of Cassidy School's reaccreditation team for the Independent School Association of the Southwest. When I return in early October, we will dig into how organizations like Parish are reconnecting to mission and values after this period of significant pandemic-induced disruption. We hope to have Parish alumni parent and CEO of Pernod Ricard and Mukherjee on with us to discuss how companies must stand for and profess their values in these days of complexity and change. Until then, we'll see you the next time on the From My Angle podcast.